Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Matthew S. Fox, joining me on the line is Paul. Paul, do you want to say hello? Hello. I'm uh, sitting in my car wearing my Batman t-shirt, so (laughs) we're all set to go. (laughs) Well, we're... um... You know, you can do it from a car. You you can talk from many places. There's never a way to stop the signal. Um, Paul and I have both been going through uh, some life changes of late. Paul has recently moved. I'm moving pretty soon myself. Um, so our sound quality today is a little special because we're doing it in a uh, kind of, as I said, forced environment. But kind of fitting for what we're talking about because we're talking today about um, a different kind of never a way to stop the signal. A uh, different kind of rebellion. Rogue One. The new Star Wars movie that came out. Um, uh, I really loved it. Paul, I think um, I want to hear your thoughts on it. And I know I walked out of Rogue One thinking that there was, you know, a lot of great stuff that we could dive into in this podcast. So I'm really excited for uh, for this topic. And as you pointed out, um, th- this is a pretty good time to be talking about ways to rebel against uh, Imperial authority. So <laughs> I think we've got a lot we can d- dive into. Dive into. Um so let's just start with Jen. Well, first of all, I, I think we just kind of like ground ourselves in the fact um, I am a huge Star Wars nerd. I have been since I was a little kid. Um, when I was young, my mother used to love to tell the story that, you know, it, it, when I was like four to eight or nine, you know, if she had to go out of the house for an hour or two and she didn't want to have a babysitter come in, but she wanted to make sure I didn't get into trouble, she could just put the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, into the to our Betamax machine. Um, going way back technology-wise, sit me in front you of the... had a Betamax. I did, I did. Um, sit me in front of the television, and she knew I wasn't going to get in any trouble because I was just a huge Star Wars fan. And I have remained that pretty much throughout my life. You know, like everyone, I, I did not love the prequels. Force Awakens was uh, kind of brought me back in a lot of ways. But Star Wars has remained a really important part of my life, both entertainment-wise, but also as something that really kind of shaped a lot of my thoughts on good and evil and anger and the whole idea of the Force. and So I'm starting from this this movie of, like, I was really looking forward to Rogue One. What what about you? I know you, you like I, have had a um, pretty long, but in some ways, kind of up-and-down journey with Star Wars. Yeah, so my first movie memory, actually, is going to see Return of the Jedi when I was five at the Ziegfeld in New York, which was a great theater in New York, which, like, most great things in New York is now gone, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, just recently closed actually. And um, it, I, I remember the moment. I remember like riding up and down the escalators with my dad at the Ziegfeld, and they're like red carpets. And um, I remember being in the theater and seeing like Luke's lightsaber shoot out of R two D two, and then he catches it and it's uh-huh. all green. It's like why is it green? I don't know. It's green. <laughs> but like, <laughs> apparently because it, if it were blue, it wouldn't have contrasted as well against the sand on, you know, or whatever. <laughs> right. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, look, look. And, uh, yeah. And, and then in high school, I became a big Darth Vader fan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I'd say that the, you know, the three original movies uh, were always really... Um, you know, were kind of like important movies to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, although, and then, yeah. I was just saying, I remember in high school, like, you and I have been having conversations like the ones we have in this podcast now for almost 20 years. Um, right. And I, I remember the those conversations we had about uh, Darth Vader and his role and like and, and the that idea of Star Wars. I think it was some of the first you and I ever had, like, of this vein. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, like specifically using um, works of fiction and, and specifically science fiction or you know, it's basically science fiction, right? Yeah, I mean, science fantasy. Opera, I, mean, I think a little more yeah. science fantasy, space fantasy, but yeah, anyway. Um, but it, it's uh, in, in order to discuss, like, you know, uh, the way that we think it would be nice that humans went around and, and conducted themselves. Right, right. Um, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember sort of the moment well, I don't remember the moment. That's not true. But <laughs> having a conversation about how, you know, like, I mean, in Empire, like, Vader kind of has a point, you know? <laughs> like, a little bit, like, he really, he, he wants to take down the Emperor, you know? And the Emperor's clearly an awful dude. Right. You know? He's not, like, someone who had this, like, oh, you know, I just want everything to be great for everybody, so I might have to, like, blow up a few planets. Like, that's just... You just got to do what you got to do, but like you know, um, he's like, no, I want all the power for me. <laughs> I'm a Sith Lord. Bow down, you know. And um, you know, meanwhile, I think Vader always like as awful as the the backstory, and that not so much the backstory as much as the um, the prequel trilogy. I mean, I. I loathe the prequel. So, like when the, the the Phantom Menace came out, I was so excited, and mm-hmm. um, I went to see it with my mom. And I I think my aunt had just died, and so I was out in Kansas City, and it's like it was kind of a sad time in general. I was like, oh, but there's a Star Wars movie, you know. And yeah. I think it was just like a few weeks after that, um, and you know, I was just like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, what is up with this? You know, the, the the Jar Jar and the young Anakin, I was like, you know, not yeah, my Anakin. I, but yeah. Like... yeah, I mean, the, the prequels are, I remember as being the first time I was truly disappointed by a movie where it had that much expectation in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but I also think you're right, what you were saying at the beginning, that like, for me, and those conversations you and I were having, I think were a big part of it, Star Wars was one of the first things where I really started to understand the idea of moral grayness, you know? Because like, right, it, right. it is portrayed as this like, climactic battle of, of pure good versus pure evil but then you find out that like vader like you know this whole idea of does he have some goodness in him and in, in empire like does he you know maybe luke joining him wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world you know right or, maybe they uh, would have been kind <laughs> rulers of the empire we don't know probably i'm gonna say not but you know possible but like, oh, we don't know yeah, but also just the ideas of like you know how obi-wan screwed up and like was obi-wan right, right. was obi-wan right to lie to luke like from his perspective, right, right. it makes sense. But yeah, so I think I think you're right that like there's always been some of that kind of moral grayness. And uh, for me, at least, and I, I want to hear a little bit more about kind of your journey to Rogue One. But I'll just say like to me, that's probably more than anything the thing I loved so much about Rogue One is how much it just took that idea and ran with it and said, you know what, like in the ally in the Empire, there are people trying to do the right thing even as they work for the Empire, and in the Rebel yeah. Alliance, there are scumbags. Or there are people right, who are right. just like, just as dedicated to destroying the empire as anyone else, but are willing to cut a lot of corners that a lot of other people wouldn't want to cut. Um, right, right. So, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, so, and and uh, so that that sort of brings us to why I think I like Rogue One better as a movie than not as a movie. I mean, just as a story, I guess. Yeah. Um, than um, the Force Awakens, uh-huh. even though like. I, 
I feel like the Force, the Force Awakens was like a Star Wars movie we needed, yeah. but like Rogue One is a Star Wars movie we deserve. <laughs> I I heard Force Awakens, and I let's say now, you and I can try to do like a spoiler-free thing. That's never going to work. The Anyone who hasn't right, seen right. any of the Star Wars movies, we're probably going to have a lot of spoilers for all the Star Wars movies. Um, I know, Paul, you've seen a lot of the Clone Wars TV show. I've yeah. seen some of it, but we might touch on that a little bit. So. Yeah. Which is by far the best prequel material, in my opinion. I can see that. I can see that. But so, yeah, so just a warning. There's probably going to be a lot of spoilers. If you haven't seen those things yet, go watch them. Come back to this podcast. I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. Um, but no, I, I, I am with you. I think in a lot of ways, The Force Awakens, to me, was a palate cleanser. The Force Awakens right, yeah, was, totally. this will get the bad taste of the prequels back in your mouth. This will allow you to trust us again. And then we can start doing some new and crazy things, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, I, 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 I like Rogue One a lot more. I'm probably going to watch Rogue One a lot more than I am going to watch Force Awakens. But I don't think we would get... I, I don't think I would have been able to enjoy Rogue One if I hadn't seen Force Awakens quite as much, you know? Like, right, right. I, I think people would have looked upon it with a great deal of skepticism Yeah. had the Force Awakens not, um, you know, awaken. I don't know, whatever. Right. Um I'll, I'll, I'll sidestep the pun, um, <laughs> but, but it, uh, yeah, it's, I, I totally agree. I think it was definitely a, a palate cleanser and it sort of like prepared people to be like, okay, now, now, now you may enjoy these other things without looking upon them with the same degree of skepticism right. um, as, you know, what? the, the prequel trilogy, uh, Especially because Rogue One does break with the mold in a lot of important ways. I mean, just in that very beginning, we we don't have the 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 the, the crawl, you know, of of, right, of right. exposition, and yeah. I think that works for Rogue One. But it's definitely a change, you know. And I think yeah. little things like that. I think if I hadn't seen Force Awakens, I would be like, "This isn't a Star Wars movie. Where's the crawl?" You know. Yeah. Right. 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 Well. That's interesting. Uh, I, I mean, the, I will say that the people I taught with were like, what the hell's going on for the first half of the movie? <laughs> I can understand <laughs> so, that. The, the crawl might have actually helped with that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I I, um, I do think that um, it it did feel different, you know, and, and not, not having that same thing in the front and not having uh, not really the same music throughout, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it was it was similar, and you felt some of the themes, but it, it wasn't like this. Uh, the, the music wasn't didn't have that same presence that it has in the other movies. Definitely. Uh, or the, the the specific music that's in the in the other movies didn't have that presence here. But also, I, I think one thing that really sets Rogue One apart from the other Star Wars movies and is kind of why I like it more now, mm-hmm. um, and why I might not have liked it as much before as I do now, is that. It, there's no Jedi. I mean, yeah, yeah. Darth Vader's like, he's kind of like a cameo, you know, mm-hmm. he's this like presence that's sort of there. But, um, although I'll say that I, I don't think they got Vader very right. Um, my Vader doesn't make puns. Like, my, yeah, yeah my, it's just, my, and my, he was like walking all kind of like jiggly, like a cowboy or something. I was just like, his legs look weird. Like I, I don't know. It, it just it, the Vader didn't feel quite right to me. Yeah. Um, but I, although I, I love the idea that he was there, you know. But no, for sure. Um, and I I love the idea of like that. This is where Vader sort of becomes Vader and finds himself as Vader. Like ridiculous as that statement is, but um, but yeah, I think it didn't quite work. But I but I do think you're right that the, you know, I I kept thinking as I was watching it, 
about the conversations you and I have had about Daredevil and how like yeah. Daredevil and Jessica Jones and and I had originally hoped Agents of Shield and <clears throat> and still somewhat Agents yeah. of Shield but not as much. Those are all set like they're telling the stories of what's happening behind the scenes of the big Avengers stories, you know? Like Right, right. Uh, Daredevil season one, it's all about like cleaning up the mess from the first Avengers movie, you know, and like Luke Cage yeah. is about like this much smaller thing. And I love those stories. I love the idea of like what's happening with a little pe you know, the, the, the smaller stories off screen. Um, and I think this is what you're getting at. To me, that's exactly what Rogue One was. You know, it was. Yeah, that's not at all what I was getting at, but that's. Oh, cool okay. Too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for you, what do you mean about in terms of it, it not being Jedi? I mean, there are literally, I mean, aside from Vader's kind of cameos in here, there are no Jedi. Like, the right. the the good guys are just a bunch of people, yeah. you know, um, and, and droids, sure. Um, but, like, it's not, you know, it's not just, like, the light side and the dark side and, mm -hmm. you know, what, this and that, and, and a bunch of, of, like, superpowers, basically. It's, right. You know, a bunch of people making decisions for, for, you know, how they want, um, the, the galaxy to look basically, uh, without really, I mean, yeah, you have the, you know, the guy who's all into the forest, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but he doesn't necessarily have any, I mean, he's not a Jedi, right. Yeah. And, it, I mean, the degree to which he's able to fight blind is, is, is sort of like daredevil and that almost like on the, the, the borderline of supernatural power kind of thing. But it's yeah, so much sure. it's so much less than the Jedi and you're right. And it's it's treated much more like a religion and a religion where like yeah. where we don't know if if the god of the religion is real, you know? Right, right. Although it's it's it, it, although we do know. Well, right, context, right. <laughs> right. But but where they you know where but it, it is treated as a religion where there's legitimate doubt about its um uh, its claims as opposed to, you know, in, I mean, in Star Wars, actually in Star Wars, that's kind of how it is in A New Hope, right? Yeah. You know, you cling to that ancient religion or whatever, that, what, Tarkin says that to Vader? Is it Tarkin who says that? No, it's the um, guy who Vader cho who chokes. But yeah, it's uh, that, that guy, yeah, yeah. your devotion okay. to that ancient religion has not helped you find the stolen data, to, et cetera, et cetera. Right, exactly. Um, and, you know, that, and, and Luke and, you know, Han are kind of like, really? Like, how am I going to see with the blast shield in my face? You know, right. like, but, but like, then it's like, oh yeah, it is a thing, you know? Um, but it's really, it isn't until Empire, I think that it's like so clear. It's like, oh, Vader can make things fly, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, like Luke can get his lightsaber to fly to his hand from across the room. Right. Yeah. Yoda can do all the um, things. And, and, and I, right. I mean, I, and I thought the way they portrayed the, um, portrayed the 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 Jetta as they call them on that uh, you know the, on the people of the planet was really interesting yeah. because they're not presented as you know the absolute wonderful complete like the, the it could have been easy to make them like the last people keeping the story of the Jedi alive and they're good and right. perfect and pure yeah. instead they were like a lot of the folks on that planet is you know it's kind of religious fanaticism you know uh, in a way that I yeah, thought yeah. was really interesting to portray because here you have people who are fighting for the rebellion, you know, in the name of the force, mm -hmm. and they're basically terrorists. I mean, they're terrorists for cause we right. support with, but they're they're you know the IEDs. They're using flat out like to me that that scene was very yeah, and, intentionally. I mean, it looks like Afghanistan, you know. Right, right, right. And I mean, they're a 
conquered people. They're conquered by an empire, you right. know, um, that has this massive military that just, you know, it's like, yeah, there are real parallels there um, that maybe could make people think about some things. Yeah. I mean, a, a friend of mine, I, I saw it, I saw the movie like a few days before this happened, but a friend of mine pointed out that she had seen the movie, like what within the first week of the movie coming out, uh, the, yeah. the Syrian city of Aleppo fell, and, and, and you know, right. with horrible devastation done to the citizens. Yeah. And a friend of mine saw the movie a day after that and said that was all she could think about during those scenes, you know, and I thought that was yeah, that yeah. was not unintentional. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. And I mean, it's, it's not like Aleppo wasn't already uh, having horrible things going on. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it was, it was a war-torn city already. Mm-hmm. Um, although I don't know when they did the actual filming. But, but, yeah, I mean, that's... that's yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously the fact that they, they didn't time the release with the war. I mean, that was not... Sure, uh, sure. But, 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 it was just, but you're right, well, but it, it's... Now, can, can, you, um, can you retreat? <laughs> we're, we're about to put this movie out, so, yeah, you know... not... <laughs> but, but I did think it was really interesting, like, the way... Or did they? <laughs> we're not going that deep on conspiracy theories. <laughs> D- Disney does have global control in some ways, but I'm not going to go quite that far. <laughs> but, but yeah, but I, I want to talk more about that because I think that's, to me, one of the things that I thought was just most striking about the movie was the way it got into the morality of rebellion, you know, in both good and bad ways. Um, right. and, and maybe that's, that's a good way to start is like with the, with the folks who are on, uh, um, who are on Jeddah, like fighting the rebellion in their own way. Like what, what was your takeaway from, from sort of what, how that was portrayed? I mean, yeah, if people are coming to, you know, take all your stuff and destroy, you know, d- destroy your home and, and take all your natural resources, like, you blow them up. <laughs> like, of course you do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and if you're massively outgunned, of course you engage in, you know, what, um, what people call terrorism. Yeah. But it's like, that's, that's how the American Revolutionary War was fought, oh, yeah. right, largely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how... You know that's how Vietnam was fought by by the, the Vietnamese and by the right by the Viet Cong, yep. and I mean that's how that's how that's how you fight a, a battle on your home turf when you're like if if you're on equal military footing, you have a huge advantage on your home turf, right? Definitely. Um, I mean, in theory. So so when there is a a conflict. Generally, the the attacker is going to have superior military strength. I, w- mm-hmm. I would imagine, right? I mean, I haven't studied enough military history to really know that that's true, but it just seems like it would make sense. That seems about so right. So the whoever's defending, I mean, whoever's trying to defend, well, any any struggle that lasts more than <laughs> briefly, right? <laughs> there's there's going to have to be um, a great amount of military power on the on the side of the invader. So. In order to defend, you're going to have to either find a way to drastically increase your military power, either by recruiting more people or by gaining some sort of technology, um, or you're going to have to uh, engage in what you know people often refer to as you know terrorist tactics. Although we we should note that they they are attacking actual military targets, right? right. I mean, well, um, which I, I, I think, and that was. Vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I thought was most interesting about those scenes is, for the most part, they're seen as attacking military targets, but they're attacking them mm-hmm. in the middle of a crowded market, 
where there's a very right, right. high potential for the kind of collateral damage that I think we often think of yeah. as one of the worst parts of terrorism. Um, right, totally, totally. Um, and yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that there's a – well, I somewhat agree with you in that I think that there's – just that word terrorism, the way we apply it, you know, the – it's an awful word. It, it's an awful word, and it, it it's a word that in a very specific context has a lot of meaning. Like the idea of using terror and fear to convince people to go along with the political position you want. Like right. that's that's one thing. A, that's a, an actual thing. Yeah, yeah. A vastly outnumbered group of people realizing that they don't have the army to just stand and fight and meet on a battlefield and thus have to use guerrilla tactics. Like, to me, that's a fundamentally different thing. And we use those words in the exact same way. And as you said, you know, by the definite, you know, to the British, I was actually reading some history, like the British described, I don't think the word terrorism was being used, but they certainly, the British were horrified by the way yeah. that the American colonialists were fighting, you know, the like shooting, shooting the soldiers on the road from Concord to Lexington from the trees dressed up in camouflage. You know, that was hor- right, right, right. horribly offensive, you know, and certainly that's, that's so ungentlemanly. <laughs> right. But but the other side of it is like when you say, well, yes, the gentlemanly thing to do is to have your army of a thousand people meet our army of 20,000 people on the field of battle and just have it out in a fair fight. You know, most right. most of the time, the people who are asking you to have a fair fight are the ones who know it's never going to be a fair fight. Um, right, exactly. And, and and to me, that was like because I I walked out of it thinking, you know, like h- how does this movie shift our perceptions of what people are doing in Afghanistan or in Iraq, where you know, I I, I mean, I'm, I, it's not to me, it doesn't justify it, and, and, and especially because in a lot of those places, like I think some of the causes that are being used are really problematic. Are, are, are those things are being used in defensive are really problematic, you know, the, the Islamic State and the like. But but it also yeah. makes it a lot harder to just sort of stand and say, oh, well, you know, IEDs are always and forever wrong and bad, you know? Well, right. You have to pay for your explosive devices. Yeah. Like sometimes, Full market value. <laughs> sometimes that's the best someone can do. Um, and I, I, to me, that was just really powerful seeing that because I, it, granted, you know, like the stuff Yoda says has moral power for me. Like when he says in, right. in Empire, you know, like, uh, you know, fear and suffering, you know, it's the way to the dark side. I, I can feel the, the, the connection for that. But I can't remember a time where a Star Wars movie had such a kind of direct political parallel to an event happening in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, it's like when, when The Phantom Menace came out, that was like the late 90s. Uh-huh. Like we had the internet boom. We had like, you know, um, that was probably during the whole impeachment thing, or that was after that. I don't know. I mean, but we had Clinton, who was what an impeached president by right. then, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, over like, I mean, oh, come on. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was like things. I mean, everybody had the whole millennium fever. You know, right. like, well, why two K? Why two K? You know, but like. Things like seemed pretty rosy in a lot of ways. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of people, I'm sure not for everybody. Um, I mean, as I said, my aunt had just died, and my uncle had just died. And, you know, but like in terms of like the global outlook, it felt like um, you know, like in terms of prosperity um, and like basic freedoms and whatever. I certainly didn't have the same level of um you know questioning 
how long those would be around. Right. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've always, like, since I was five, I was like, wait, this is the world? Fuck you guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> who, who made it this way? You know, but, like, but I, I do think that there were, there were certain things that I'd say I always took for granted that um, I don't take for granted the same way. Like, I, you know, the people talking about a surveillance state, that seems more of a hypothetical, you know, and, and hyperbole. And now right. it's like, no, we, we do live in the surveillance state, like not quite as hyperbolically as a lot of science fiction might portray, but like not nearly as far away as we were 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, what? Um, and, 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 and a police state and militarized police and all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I admit that was a big part of why I think why the movie hit me so hard is because, you know, to me, some of the best scenes in the movie and it kind of like what we talked about in Jetta, but also even more later is where different people who all think the Empire is terrible are debating, like, how far are you willing to go to fight this Empire? You know, both in terms of, like, what do you think is acceptable to do to fight the Empire? And also, like, what are you willing to risk to fight the Empire? And there's real division about that. To me... To me, you know, I, I think it's really important that anybody, wherever they are on the political spectrum, you know, can can be a part of this conversation. That's great. And I, I certainly want to hear from you if you see it differently. But I'll be very clear about where I'm coming from. Um, when I, I, I see the idea of, like, how do we fight the empire? And I'm thinking of it in terms of how do we fight Trump? Because that's right. the and, – and I think those are the conversations that progressives are already having of our – how much are we willing to – are we going to fight only within the legal means or are we going to start doing like protests and tax boycotts and things like that and and what are we willing to risk to fight the Trump administration um and I just you know watching like that council of war you know it just it brought all that back for me yeah I I think uh it obviously has very clear parallels to to where we are now um I do think I think that the I think people are missing a little bit the um, the fact that it's not just a Trump occupation of mm-hmm. the White House. It's I, I mean I think the entire Republican Party has just gone off the rails. Sure. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to get us that, too, I don't want to get us too deep into our own personal politics, but but yeah, go on. Sure, sure. But um, uh, you know it it's um like there's when there's one side that decided you know, we're not going to play by the rules anymore. Mm-hmm. When the other side then decides, well, but we're still going to play by the rules. Yeah. They've given themselves a massive disadvantage. It really you know, is. They've a huge advantage to the other side. And I think that's uh, a huge problem in um, American politics right now. But also in terms of the metaphor between specifically Trump and um, the empire, mm-hmm. he's not Darth Vader. Yeah. Like, Darth Vader is, is kind of cool um, <laughs> and very conflicted um, character who has, you know, great powers of a, a Sith Lord. He's Kylo Ren. Yeah. You know? he's, he's the whiny little bitch who <laughs> wants to live up to his daddy, really. Right. Um, and, you know, the way Kylo Ren wants to live up to his, his granddad. And, you know, it... Um, I just think that's an important point. Like, yeah. I just can't let people draw Darth Vader 
to uh, to Donald <laughs> Trump references. No, I, 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 I'm with you. I think if, if if there's any connection there, it's Kylo Ren. I, I I would not I would not use the word bitch in that context, but I but I do know what you mean. Um, and 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 I also think that's in some ways actually that might be the one part of the empire, the whole Star Wars story that that I think doesn't quite fit with reality because. In Star Wars, and granted, there's a whole idea of like the Emperor is using his Sith power to prop it all up and the like. But, right, but I think right. there's often an idea of like, you know, if only we could have killed Hitler, Nazi Germany wouldn't have happened. You know, if only we could get right, rid, of, right. you know, get rid of Trump, we would be okay. And 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 if we kill the Emperor, you know, then everything is going to get back to normal. Um, and right. granted, there is a great military victory they win, but but I often think that that that's a real problem because, you know, that there it, the reality is if we get rid of Trump, we get Pence not really a step up in a lot of ways. Um, right, it's you know, a step it, to the side, and it's yeah. in a different direction. Of, if, of, if someone uh, had assassinated Hitler in 1937 or 38, like, yeah, maybe the world's a little bit different because he's such a demagogue, but, like, the right. whole, the whole like, situation that had been so ready for someone to step into power like that in Germany is still there. Some other demagogue yeah. is going to step up. Um, and, yeah, and I, I think that's, we can apply that same thing in the Star Wars world of like, okay, well, Palatine is dead, you know, but you still have, because I think that, and to me, this is the thing that I, I, this is the thing that I think is almost one of the greatest sins of the prequels is that they got this so wrong, is the story that I wanted the prequels to tell is that because of all of this confusion and chaos and, um, you know, really difficult situation happening throughout the galaxy, People were willing to let, you know, they want, when one strong man said, I will keep you safe, don't worry, they were willing to give up their freedom for that safety, you know, and that's, it's an old story, but it's such a powerful one, and Star Wars had such a good opportunity to tell that story in the subtle, nuanced way that it needs to be told, so that people could say, oh yeah, you know, look at how, you know, those planets were willing to give up their power to the Emperor, Look at how dangerous that is. What can we learn about that today? And instead, they totally screwed it up and made it about Jar Jar Binks and, and you know, <laughs> all that long range. Yeah, but- and that all of the the whole struggle, the whole separatist versus um, republic struggle, which I think you can't, like, they they explore a little bit in the, the animated series Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, and which you can definitely you know, get into and get into about how, you know, the separatists aren't necessarily wrong. The Republic's not necessarily wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, I think if the Republic is a properly functioning body that does what it should be doing, um, then it, it should have sway over the whole galaxy because I think the Republic's job should be to make sure, um, that none of the, the local planetary governments or whatever are oppressing or exploiting their people. Right. Um, but if you have a, a republic that's corrupt, or if you have a republic that's um, not doing those things, it's, it's serving maybe, maybe corporate interests or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or it just has no real power, then, it's, then, then the individual member states are, are totally justified in being like, well, we don't want to be a part of you because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think there's a really interesting story there that they didn't really tell. Instead, they're like, ooh, Palpatine has Dooku, and then Dooku is leading the Separatists, and you know, it, it just becomes this giant evil plot instead of... 
I, uh, complex political situation. Yeah, we, we've talked about this before, and I've actually written an article about this for the blog uh, that's associated with this podcast. But to me, it, that the moment, I mean, there were so many bad moments in those prequels, but the moments where I truly gave up on them was when you see that Count Dooku is working for Palpatine. Because, like, right. at least if there's, if he is someone who is, who truly believes in the separatist movement, then that, then the story is so much richer, you know, as you're saying, because then it's, it's, yeah, yeah it, it's, these people think that they're right. Um, and that's, that, that's always a story that I'm much more interested in, is when people are doing terrible things because they think that they're right. Um, and, and I, I like that in Rogue One, we see, you know, I mean, I, I can't remember, like, yeah, Han Solo is portrayed as a little bit of a scoundrel, and, like, you know, that's why him shooting first is so important. But I can't, to me, like, Han shooting first is so much less than um, our hero, who uh, Diego Luna, who I can't remember his character's name, um, you know, he flat out kills a guy in the first ten minutes of a movie. Like, not shoot, like, he just flat out, like, you're going to be a liability to me. Got it off you right now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you can't climb here, and you have this information. Uh, okay, you got to go. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what what did you think of that of that moment? Uh, I thought it was. If I had a little more context, I think I would have appreciated it more. Um, uh huh. I did. I did like it. I, I I liked that character a lot overall. You know, I found him a pretty compelling character. I liked that we never got his whole backstory. Yeah. You know, he was just like, yeah, you know my life, bad stuff too. Like, you know, like don't make assumptions that, that like, you know, you're the only person who's been through whatever. Um, but like, we're not like burdened with like a 10 minute flashback sequence or whatever. Right. Um, and there's, there's a, a, a moment in another show that I have at some point recommended people see, um, that's very similar where there's a character who's, you know, working undercover basically. And, they want, you know, and they get some information or something from a source, and then they want to protect that source, right? And they're trying to help them get away, but then the guy, like, breaks his ankle or twists his ankle or something. And he's just like, well, you're not going to be able to get away, and you're going to blow my cover if they find you. So he just shoots him. You know, he just kills him. Because it's like, you know, the, the, the goal, his goal was to, like, prevent, you know, nuclear apocalypse, basically. Right. Um and so, you know, when that's your goal, it's like, yeah, maybe you just kill someone when that's the only way you see to achieve your goal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to live with that. And then, you know, as viewers, we see like, well, you know, you're not all like, um, all like about your moral code or maybe you are, but like your moral code isn't like, you know, thou shall not kill. Like, you know, you're a CIA right. agent or whatever, you know, you're you're a member of a rebel alliance, you know, trying to rebel against a, a galactic empire. Like, yeah, you're going to have to, I mean, you don't have to, but like in order to have the best chances of succeeding in um, defeating this enormous empire um, that's led by like, you know, Jedi wizards, basically, uh-huh. um, which I guess they don't know that how powerful the Empire or <laughs> right. <laughs> tangent uh, alert, tangent are, alert. But, yeah. But the, the point being like that they know that there's this massive a power, power against them. And it's like, in order to maximize your chances of success, like you're probably going to have to do things that like, you're, you're not crazy about yeah. like in a vacuum. You'd be like, nah, that's not me. And well, you're like, well, here, yeah, I gotta do and, what I gotta do. And I thought that was, it was so interesting because, you know, 
a lot of the times the movies we see, like especially, it's something that drives me crazy about a lot of the Marvel superhero movies is someone like the Nick Fury character wants our character to, you know, is basically saying like, look, you have to do something morally gray for the greater good. And our hero is always going to say, no, I can figure out a way to do this and still be perfectly morally pure. And it always kind of makes me roll my eyes a little bit. And, but, but on the flip side, it would be easy to sort of do it in a way that says, no, it is completely morally justified for this character to do this thing, even though it seems terrible. Right. And Rogue One seemed pretty comfortable saying like, yeah, we're not going to try and answer that question either way. We're going to show you yeah, that yeah. that a lot of heroes have dirty hands and dirty consciences, and we're not apologizing for them, but we're also not going to hide that. You know, we're just saying right. here they are. Um, yeah, I, I think that's some of certainly my favorite kind of fiction. I mean, I'm tempted to say the best kind of fiction, but that's mm-hmm. you know subjective. But when I mean, I think it's much better for a piece of fiction to pose a question, you know, yeah. to, and, and sometimes to kind of give a nudge this way or that way and to explore that question sometimes, or sometimes just let it sit. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I think it's much better to just kind of ask the question and be like, okay, you know, go ahead and think about this. Yeah. Um, then just to be like, this is the thing, you know, this is our point. Um, and I, I think sometimes it's more effective at reaching people than just being like, this is our point, this is our point, this is our point. Oh, yeah, because because you walk out, you know, you and I have talked about this just with regard to, like, uh, Captain America Civil War, that you yeah. you and I saw that movie and came out with different perspectives on it. Um, and I, I think that that's... I've heard a lot of different people have very different ideas about, you know, what does Rogue One tell you about what is acceptable in in terms of how to have a rebellion, you know? And I just think that that's right. awesome, because that's such a great way of, of, of changing these dynamics of conversations. Um what uh, oh so anything more on that yeah I, I mean my i don't think it tells you anything yeah i think it gives you a bunch of thoughts to think about and then you know it leaves you to make up your own yeah. mind which i think is great definitely well and, and so let me let me uh, dive into one of the things that i've heard a lot of people debate um what um the father um i'm, I'm so terrible with names um urso um right. uh, jalen urso is that his name Sure. Okay. The the engin- the engineer father. Did he- I, I remember keep hearing the names in it, and I was just like, "What's your name?" Yeah. It it just and I I love that like Star Wars like it would feel weird if it was like Bill and Michael and Janet. Bob. But, yeah. But exactly. yeah. But but like but it also Bob makes, and his daughter Jane. <laughs> it makes it harder to keep the, keep the track of the names. Um. But yeah. Okay. So so what do you think of what he did? Does he make the right decision? In terms of the like deciding that he is, you know, he's not just going to like refuse and be killed. He is going to help them build the Death Star, but he's also going to build it with this with this uh, fatal weakness. Right. I mean, assuming that he's correct that there are other people who would do it and that they would get it done, right? And then they would get it done faster than they would get it done with him in there. Like, yeah. I mean, I think any good rebellion needs some spies. Yeah. You know. Um, needs some saboteurs, and that's basically what he is. He's a he's a saboteur who's gonna basically make sure that you know um, that when they build the thing that they're definitely gonna build, that it doesn't work quite the way they want it to, and that if you know his 
daughter can manage to climb to the top of some radar tower and beam something up to a spaceship, which will then send it to another spaceship on like a floppy disk or whatever. And then that <laughs> spaceship will send it on Detroit into a desert where, you know, the last Jedi uh, will, will find it or the potential last Jedi will find it and then give it to the actual last Jedi who will then teach him to be a Jedi. And then he'll take, you know, one shot and blow up the thing. Yeah, I think he was totally right. <laughs> There might be a little bit of results-oriented thinking happening there in terms of how accurate he was in his prediction. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think it, it's... I, I was talking after uh, the, that same friend who made the comment about Aleppo. Uh, her name is Robin. Also, I thought made a really fascinating comment where she was talking about, um, uh, you know, thinking about, like, people... In, who are today like in the modern weapons industry who are you know or who yeah. are you know anybody who's working right, right. in the defense department or the state department mm. you know and your, yeah. your thought is and okay probably most of them are not going to try to like actively sabotage the American military but but it's yeah. a similar question of like do you just say I refuse to have anything to do with the Trump administration and then let anyone else come in or do you say I'm going to stay and try to like be a little bit of a force you know like throw some things into the gears every now and then to try to slow down the move towards something terrible or try to like be a little bit of a, a reasonable voice in the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I was going to go with more of a Mitt Romney, uh, comparison. Yeah. But, that's pretty uh, fair. you know, I mean, in terms of like, if you get offered secretary of state by a state that you think is, is, um, at best on the wrong track, like if, if you're, I don't know, if you're Hillary Clinton, you don't take that position. But if you're Mitt Romney, and in a lot of issues you're actually closer, but you think, you know, you can maybe be a buffer to some of the worst of what an administration can do, like, you're you're probably a person who should, who should do that, yeah. you know? And in terms of being in the defense, I mean... If you're in the defense industry in the first place, like that's that's its own thing, you know. Right. Um, but if yeah, if you think that the American military generally does good things, and you're worried that it's going to uh, do some bad things under the the incoming administration, then I think what you know the the most sensible thing to do. I don't know. I mean, you basically have a choice. You have two two options, and it's like, can you stomach going along up until the point when you say no? This is this is beyond that, which is which is okay, you know. Um, or do you just say I'm not going to have any part of this? And I, I think they're both actually reasonable yeah. um, ways to go about. I, I think if your goal is to defeat whatever negative action you think might happen, then actually going along with it until the point where where you can actually take an action that'll make a difference mm-hmm. um, is maybe strategically more effective. Um, whereas I think if you, you know, if you're higher ranking or, or you, if there's, if there's like something you can do, if you can mobilize like half of, of the people in your field to, uh, to like have some massive kind of protest against the legitimacy of, of, something then that's one thing but as just an individual act it's probably not very effective it's probably more of a a salve to to your own conscience whereas you know i mean there's there's a point at which like you know a a military coup is is a thing that actually makes sense yeah you know and you can just look at like turkey instead for Mm -hmm. a moment you know just like they actually have a history of the military um 
of military coups to reinstitute democracy. Right. Because the people have this habit of electing demagogues or people who become demagogues that get more and more Islamist and more and more um, authoritarian. And then the, the, army, you know, the, the military steps in and they're like, whoa, 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 we're removing you from power. Okay, now have a new election because you're violating the Constitution. You know, right. that's the thing is that if the president is supposed to uphold the Constitution and then the president's ignoring the Constitution, then the military's duty is not to obey the president. It's to, you know, I mean, it's like when you're given an order that contradicts um, the whole structure upon which the you getting orders and following them is based, mm-hmm. then you're not supposed to follow that order. Yeah, and I, and I think that, that that's an important point. And I, I, I like, I, you've mentioned Turkey before, and I've said I, I don't know enough about the situation yeah. to know if I agree with you in terms of like how much we how much we can say like that what the military is doing is a good thing there but i think that the general idea i mean you know there was a military coup against hitler's germany you know in 1944 and i think there's no one in the world who would ever say like the world wouldn't have been a better place if that hadn't succeeded you know um um, and and i think especially tying it back to 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 urso yeah exactly but but tying it back to 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 urso in the uh in this movie I, i i you know it's one of those things where i feel like i I couldn't possibly sit in judgment of him either way, you know. I mean, first right. of all, I will say, if it, I, if nothing else, I love the fact that they use that to tie up one of the biggest plot holes of the first movie, which is how in the world did the empire did did, did this huge Death Star was so easily destroyed? Um, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I thought that was kind of just a brilliant writing thing, but but also just I I. You know, I walk out of the movie and all I feel is sympathy for Earth. You know, I would mm. I would have actually right. loved to see so much, especially because he winds up by the end not only doing this thing with the Death Star, but he does just like you were saying. He convinces at least one other person that this is wrong and they should join the pilot. Um, you right. know, and I, I kind of wish. Yeah, the movie was already long, and I'm not saying they should have been a lot longer, though there, there are some scenes that could have been cut. Um, but I would have loved to see the scene in which Urso convinces the pilot to do, you know, to take this risk. You know, like, oh, what, yeah, yeah. what's the process of, like, you know, and, and, and are there others in the Empire who are like, well, yeah, like, some galactic stability is good, but blowing up planets, maybe not so cool. Um, right, right, exactly. You know, because I think that's th- like what's the Death Star operator like recruiting process look like? <laughs> right. <laughs> I I have to think that that. I mean, get, granted, you get to wear that. Really, One into. <laughs> you get to wear that really awesome helmet. I always thought the like the kind of very cylindrical both directions helmet that the guy who pushes. The right, button, right. It's an awesome looking yeah, it's helmet. Like, Want to travel to crazy places <laughs> and destroy them? <laughs> Want to wear crazy helmets <laughs> and yeah. get blown up? <laughs> We've got the job for you. Exactly, exactly. But it, it's want to meet Darth Vader? No, you probably don't. <laughs> you might choke you to that. Not, not a great job security there. Um, no. But yeah, but it, it, it just, I, I, I just, to me, he, he was in a lot of ways my favorite, not my favorite character, but the character I just thought was so morally interesting, because yeah, I don't honestly know what I would do in that kind of a situation. Like I hope, I hope I would do, you know, I hope certainly that I wouldn't just be afraid and just totally going along with it. But, right, in ter- right, right. but in terms of like, is it better just to like refuse to participate in any way and make them kill you and hope that other people do the same and just eventually, you know, like they run out of people to kill and they have to stop, you know, like yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. But also the like, do you work within the system? And, and, and cause to me, it's the exact same question now of like, 
do I just refuse to pay taxes and refuse to have any, you know, allegiance to a Trump government and thus, you know, put myself in harm's way? Or do you, you know, work within the system and like still keep going to like Congress and, and, and acknowledge the legitimacy of a presidency, but then work to sabotage it from within, you know? I mean, right. that his debate is, I think, one that has a lot of, lot of resonance for us today. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, honestly, I, I just, I think, you know, the the answer is a question. It's like, who are you? Yeah. You know, who are you? What do you do? Where can you have more, you know, effect? Um, you know, are you doing, are you trying to take whatever action to make yourself feel better? Mm-hmm. Or are you trying to have an actual impact on, uh, you know, the, the world, the situation? And if you're taking a particular action, can you get other people to do that? Right. You know, um, like I can say, okay, I'm not going to pay my taxes this year, you know, or that's not actually the way I would put it. I'm not going to pay any federal taxes this year. Right. Right. There's a bunch of ways of going about that. There's just refusing and then maybe getting arrested. Right. Mm -hmm. There's, um, not making more than the, the poverty level. Right. Um, which is like an interesting sort of form of protest. I, I mean, I, uh, I figured out a great way of not paying taxes. I'm just really poor. Yeah. But yeah, that's a different story. Right, yeah, yeah, not making any money. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, right. if half the country basically took a vow of poverty and said, we're not going to make enough money to pay, you know, income tax. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Well, you know? especially because um, that that's very tied into, I mean, to do that, you're also basically talking about like, an, you know, a basic like national boycott. You know, of people yeah, just yeah. refusing to work, which is something that's been done in a lot of other countries and, and causes a country to grind to a halt. Um, right. And honestly, I think that's like, like, sure, call your senators. Fine. You know, like, I'm not against that. Like, go out in the street and protest. Fine. I'm not against that. Like, but if you really want to cause, you know, create great change, like big sweeping change, like you need to you need to make things stop. Yeah. Like, not just make traffic stop on, like, the I-5 or whatever, you know. Um, I'm in California. Yeah. So, you know, I use California reference. <laughs> well, which may well soon become the People's Republic of California, and which is another, exactly. you know. Exactly. You, you guys need Count Dooku. In which du- case, I've got to count you. <laughs> you. You guys need a Count Dooku who's not working for Emperor Palpatine to run your separatist movement. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe that analogy breaks down, but well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about Count Dooku, <laughs> but uh. But but here here's actually the thing I kind of like most about what you're saying, though, um, be, because I I do even there like I don't want to tell everybody you should all stop working or you should because I I have a lot of privilege that allows me to do the things that I'm doing and like that's not the right choice for everyone, but as you said like, you know the the Jalen Urso question it really asks who are you and what's going to be right for you. To me, that's so relevant because I think when I kind of I don't walk away from the Rogue One thinking this was the person who was the best rebel and everyone should have rebelled the way he did or she did. Right. You know, I walk away thinking every person is experiencing the Empire in a different way and is going to find a different way of rebelling against it, and that's okay. There isn't any one. And yeah. frankly, as I watch the thing about rebelling against something is that there's a lot of ways to do it. <laughs> well, like all the ways that are not following whatever it is that they want you to do, those are all rebellion. Right. And 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 frankly, as I watch liberals and progressives, and I'll admit I, I've made this, I, I've fallen into this trap a few times myself. Start, you know, moving from discussing and debating 
to really attacking each other for not rebe- you know not fighting back in the right way. It, right. it just you know I mean do you remember it's now been a couple of weeks and happily it's kind of blown over but like one of the first things that happened after Trump was elected was there was this whole thing about how people should wear safety pins as a sign of like hey I'm right. a safe person and then a lot of people were like attacking that and saying it was so dumb and so bad and anyone who'd do it was a terrible person and it, right. it just it made me want to tear my hair out because here we were instead yeah. of saying like there's this terrible thing happening how do we fight against it instead it became Let's attack each other for not fighting against it in the right way, you know. And I just it, that part of the movie also resonated with me for that because it's you know it, it's we're not all Jalen Urso, we're not all, we're not all Jay Urso, we're not all going to fight right. back in the same way. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And um, I mean, I think there are certain things where getting a large volume of people to rebel in the same way is is the way you um, have a successful rebellion, right? You know, like to to harken back to V for Vendetta, um, which we did an episode on. Right. If if only like two people showed up in their V mask, <laughs> you know, you like, shoot the Empire shoots them and moves on. End of story. Right, right. Or, or they just hit them with the rifle butt. They're like, "What are you doing?" You yeah. know. But like, if a huge mass of people come like that, then then they're not going to just shoot everybody because they don't have enough bullets. Yeah. You know. Um, and it's, and and not just for that, but but that's one reason. And if, you know, I think like two guys not paying any federal income tax isn't going to shut the government down, you know, (laughs) it's not going to make anyone really deeply reconsider anything. Wait, wait, you mean, you mean a hundred people listening to this podcast isn't going to be what changes global history? What are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, you know, it's going to make me feel better to be able to say, I didn't pay for that wall, right? you know, <laughs> like I didn't pay for, for those bombs to go, you know, do whatever. Like I did pay for the bombs for the last however many years, you right. know, and yep. it's, it's actually really, really made me reflect on that more. Like thinking like, huh, like I would much rather, I mean, the thing is, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to, to not to legitimately not pay any federal income tax, right? Right. Um, one of them is, I think, to lose about a billion dollars in, <laughs> in a business deal. <laughs> we'll call that the Edelston Manor. Right. Um, you know, you can you can donate up to half of what you make, and then if what you make is you know less than the the poverty threshold, but then you know you don't have any money. Basically, almost all of these options end up in being broke. Right. Um, you know, which is fine, and that's a choice, and. Um, you know, a lot of people don't have a choice of being broke or not being broke. They're just broke. And so they're like, yeah, okay, I'm not paying any federal income tax. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really going to be what, what changes things. It, it, it would have to be um, a large number of people who are already contributing a lot withholding that contribution, whether it's in the form of not paying or it's in the form of, of not working. You right. know, and saying, no, I, I'm not going to do anything. Yep. You know, until until the, these grievances are addressed, um, and maybe things have to get a lot worse before people are willing to, to do things like that. And I think that's probably true. What, um, and, and and one thing that I, I the movie really hit home for me because, and I I don't know if this would work in real life, but I really have to hope it is because it's one of the only things I think that can work. Is you know, in the climactic scene of the movie, kind of what happens is she tries to convince everyone. To, to Jay tries to convince everyone to like take part in her grand attack uh, to get the plans, and they all say no. So yeah. she so she just goes ahead and does it anyway, 
And yeah, other people yeah. who like didn't want to agree to it in theory see her doing it and are like, okay, well now we're going to follow her, you know? And I, right. I kind of wonder that sometimes, like if instead of, instead of trying to convince a hundred thousand people to all stop working, if a small group stop working and let people know and make people see it, is that actually the, you know, is it better to just like, just go start doing it and get people to notice and get them to follow instead of just like getting the whole war council on board first? Um, because I don't, I, I want to think that I want to think that works, and I hope that that works, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Well, yeah. I mean, so obviously, you know, it's a work of fiction. Yeah. Like, wait, really? In in a lot of yeah, <laughs> in a lot of other scenarios, like they'd go off, they'd all die, they'd fail on their mission, and everybody would live unhappily ever after, except for the people who are dead. And they're like, well, at least I tried. Yeah. Um, but they're dead, so they don't say anything. Well, unless they're force ghosts, I don't know. Um, it's just Star Wars world. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the 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 thing is that, you know, you I think trying to get a bunch of people to to go along um with with what you want to do is a great thing to do. Yeah. But using their refusal, you know, the collective refusal of the masses basically to to follow um what you think is is a, an effective form of protest or of rebellion or whatever. Um, I, I, I don't think you can use that as an excuse not to do it yourself, yeah. you know? And I do think that if you just go ahead and do it, um, some other people will think about it mm-hmm. for sure. And some of them might do it and some of them won't. Um, and I mean, just drawing from my personal life, like when I was five, I found out that people ate animals and that yeah. was just like a thing. And I was like, I think that is a ridiculous thing. I'm not going to do that. And I'd like to be able to convince everybody that, you know, it's a ridiculous thing and we shouldn't do it. Um, I've almost, I think only one time in my life have I really actually tried to convince an individual person. Right. You know, Um, and that was because that was a person who so um, was so in love with animals and saw animals as people that I was just like, you know, this doesn't really match up with what, what you seem to, you know, feel or believe. And they agreed with me and, and then just did that. But yeah. it was like, they made that choice for themselves because, um, you know, like all I did was basically raise a question, right. you know, and I think people have to find their own answers um, the, the best we can do is like kind of suggest things. But I mm-hmm. think when people find their own answers, like I have other friends who became vegetarians cause they were dating a vegetarian. And like, that was really the whole reason, you yeah. know? Well, and like, then they broke up with that person. They stopped being a vegetarian. Like that's not, um, but okay. I've, I've <laughs> I'm going to ramble back to where I started, um, <laughs> which is that, you know, I just stopped doing what I thought people shouldn't do. Yeah. And over, you know, the, the last 33, whatever, 34, almost years, uh, more and more people have made the same choice. Yeah. I'm not going to say my decision affected any particular number of those people, but I will say that my decision, along with all the other people who made the same decision, made it easier for the next people to do that, made it easier for the next people to do that. Like, now it's super easy to be vegan, you know, whereas... Mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago, it was hard to just be vegetarian. 
you know, just in terms of like well, food availability and, and options. And and that alone, um, I think. Oh, go ahead. Just the, the point is that I think it's often a very gradual thing where you can create what what effectively is a mass protest by gradually adding numbers and making it easier, making it sort of more socially acceptable for the next person to then say, okay, I want to do that too. Right. And, and I think that that's, that, that last part, I mean, I, I know, you know, I'm obviously not a vegetarian um, and you and I have had, had conversations about a lot of that and kind of just agreed to see things differently. But there's also an extent to which my conversations with you along with some other people were a big part of what moved me a lot closer to my, you know, like only eating ethically raised animal kind of positions that a lot that I hold a lot now. And part of that, part of that was talking to you about your philosophy, but also part of it is because I used to feel like, well, a a good meal has to involve meat. And like going to enough vegan restaurants with you made me realize like, no, actually, like, you can have a very enjoyable meal that doesn't have any kind of animal product. I just didn't know that was possible. And I and, yeah. and and that sounds like a kind of crazy analogy, but I think that is very similar. Is it's that same like, you know, there are people at that war council with Mon Mothma who are really like, sure, we would love to fight the empire, but it is just not possible. There is nothing right. we can do. And when yeah, she starts to be like, no, we can do it. Look, we can. Like it makes yeah, people start. We are doing it. And I think it's that same thing in a lot of ways now. You know, I think there are just things that people are like, no. We have to play by the rules. We have to be, um, you know, we have to do the right thing in fighting Trump. And, and like, I mean, I, I love so much of what Michelle Obama has been saying for so many years. But in a lot of ways like that, when they take the low road, we take the high. Part of me is just like, no, no, like low road. Let's get back on that. You know, yeah, when like, they take the low road, we dig a tunnel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, th- there's an article that I'm hoping I will. Um, neither me nor Paul has been writing quite as much as we would like to um, in terms of promised projects. But there's an article that I'm that I'm working on that will hopefully come out this week or early next. That's basically about like why we've got to stop being Commissioner Gordon and start being Batman. Um, and, yeah. and to me, it's a lot of the same idea of like at some point you got to decide to stop working within the rules and start recognizing, you know, it, in some ways like I almost think like to draw a parallel back to our own world, the stupidest thing Palatine probably does is disbanding the Imperial Senate. Because if he'd kept the Imperial oh, Senate, yeah. like, what an interesting story would it have been if people had been like, no, what we have to do is file a formal protest in the Imperial Senate bureaucracy against the destruction right. of Alderaan, and that that was bad, and there should be a motion of censure against him in the Senate. And you're like, the guy just destroyed a planet. Like, it's not time for, right. for senatorial bureaucracy anymore, you know? Right, but they would still, I mean, they, they'd still be doing that. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's... That's the thing. That's what, um, that's what's happening today, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, no one's destroying planets just yet. Well, humanity well, no, no. collectively <laughs> is destroying a planet uh, slowly, but it's happening. For its own. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> so let me um uh one more like big issue that I I want to make sure we talk about because I know it's one you and I have talked about a lot before, and I I was really happy with how the movie did it. Um, representation. Issues of representation in one you and I have, have, have both a lot of feelings on that, that somewhat agree, somewhat don't, um, in terms of like kind of gender and racial and things like that, um, right. in terms of like cast and characters. What did you think of, of how that how that was done for this movie? Um, yeah, I mean, it's good, you know. Um, I think it, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that when when the when the first preview came out and it was it was so centered around Jim, I want to say, uh, uh, 
and I, I saw it. I saw one one friend of mine like ah oh, another Star Wars movie with a female lead, you know, mm-hmm. um, and which is kind of like so it's the second Star Wars movie <laughs> that a female lead, yeah, you know, uh, like you know. But, if you wanted uh, to say recently, I've actually seen that same person make comments, um, kind of about how good it is to yeah. have. Um, you know the the kind of representation we do now, and and I've seen him really kind of come come around on oh, that's awesome. a lot of issues like that. Yeah, it it, it might be nice um, to have a woman in the Star Wars universe who doesn't have you know br- brown hair and a British accent as the lead. Um, but like, yeah, otherwise, yeah, you know, and isn't like twenty ish? I mean, it uh, the thing about representation in Star Wars is like, and this is something that um, actually kind of drives me nuts about the the new trilogy, the post-school trilogy or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I know it's a sequel to it. Or right. whatever. <laughs> it's a threequel of, of sequels. Um, is like, the whole idea is like, well, it's not about the old generation. It's about the new generation. I'm like, you know, I like, I don't know if that's, that's a separate, that's my own thing. Like, I don't know if that's the story I really want to see. Um, although I do really like all of the new characters. Right. Um, the thing that bothers me is like the central characters are like always so young in Star Wars. Uh-huh. And I feel that's this real deliberate. Um, I mean, I think there's a couple reasons for that. But it, I mean, it, it plays into a lot of sort of ageist um Stereotypes and, and I mean, and, uh, and a lot of that's not just know, Star Wars; it's Hollywood in general. But oh, certainly, it's Hollywood, I, of course, of course. What one of the? But I think um, you're. Uh, go ahead. But I think Star Wars is like particularly bad at, at that one aspect. I I think uh, you're I think you're right, and I would have loved because in, in some ways in here I would say I think Force Awakens was actually a little better at that than this was. Um, especially because it was an art. I'd never really thought about it this way, and, and granted, it's a small character in in the movie in this in Force Awakens. But one of the best pieces I saw when Carrie Fisher died um, was was a, a woman who wrote a great article. I, I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes, but it should be also be easily findable. Um, where she basically said, like, her hero wasn't Princess Leia; it was General Organa. Um, right, right. And that that, that the, the yes, it was a small car- a small appearance in the Force Awakens, but having you know now General Leia Organa. Um, be a character in in the Force Awakens. That there was something where like the the studio wanted you know the actress to kind of lose weight and to like show that she had like you know and she was like no look I'm I'm a woman of this age this is what I look like you know and that that's okay and and that's what Leia would look you know Leia isn't going to try yeah. to keep you know General Organa does not have the body that fit into the bikini on Jabba's world like right. and that's she's not going to use her Force powers to try to age uh... yeah and she shouldn't and that and that shouldn't in any yeah. way take away from you know her awesomeness her attractiveness her general greatness. You know, in any of those, right, things. Right, right. not that her attractiveness shit matters to anyone, but just if it if it does matter to her, it can. You know, um, sure. But but yeah, I just and I so yeah, I I love that in Force Awakens, and you're right. I think that there it could have been nice to have a little folks younger um, in in Rogue One. Uh, some not some folks who weren't all so young in Rogue One. Um, well, I mean, it's it's not that they're all so young. It's that the main character always right. seems to be you know like a just bare like. What's now referred to as new adult fiction, right? Well, and, because and, young adult actually doesn't refer to young adults; it refers to teens. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of that seems it, it's there's obviously a very powerful story trope of 
the young person who's just becoming an adult who is sort of like the story is of them having their eyes opened to the way of the world, you know? Yeah, um, very hero with a thousand faces. Yeah, exactly. And it's an interesting story, but you're right, it's becoming a bit of a trope in the Star Wars. Yeah, world. Like I, yeah and, and I feel like Rogue One would have been the time to not tell that story. Right. You know? Like, it would have been a time to just be like, yeah, here's a group of seasoned rebels, you know, doing the thing. And, and I mean, I, th- I think the story was great. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, it's not so much a specific criticism as much as a general thing yeah. uh, about representation. Um, one thing, like, in terms of, like, racially or whatever, like, they they finally had a, a significant Asian character. Yep. Right? Um, and a significant Latino and, character. Yeah, well, they have that in The Force Awakens. Um, but... True. Um... Uh, Poe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think the actor's Guatemalan, I want to say. Um, he's less obviously, and, I mean, the simple fact that I didn't remember it, I mean, he, he is distinctly right, less right, right, obviously right. Latino yeah. than, than yeah. this one with a strong Mexican accent. But yeah, go on. Right, right. Um, for sure, for sure. Um, but that, you know, I think they did something right in terms of like, they okay, so they, they finally have an Asian character and he's like this very stereotypical, like, kung fu movie sort of character right in a lot of ways you know like the the, the blind martial artist like that's that's totally a, a trope who is right? spouting um, wisdom right exactly and you know it's all enlightened and shit um but then they have like his buddy too who's also yeah. asian and is totally not that stereotype um and so i thought that was a very good way of like i don't mind if you have a character who's a bit stereotypical um, in certain ways, as long as it's not like, you know, a um, super offensive stereotype that's like inherently um, like ridiculing a a culture or race or or sex or whatever. Um, But when you have a character who fits certain stereotypes, I think that can be fine. I think it's, often a lot better if you also have another character who doesn't fit those stereotypes from the same sort of group um, that's represented there because then it's it's like it keeps people from being like oh that's what everybody you know from there is like or whatever yeah. and instead of just reinforcing the stereotype it kind of creates a broader I, I mean I think this, uh, this is the key about tokenism you know and, and this is the conversation right. you and I had for a while about Luke Cage that I thought was so so yeah. powerful is that like yeah if your only black character in a show is a like you know very well dressed drug dealer you know kind of character that's really problematic and, and he's the only black character that's really problematic but if you're yeah. telling a story about an entire you know the world of Harlem yeah. the, you know a, a person like that existing as one of many is somewhat accurate you know or, or like you know yeah. as a possibility um yeah. and and i think it's why the whole like you know there was a great catchphrase i heard about this that i can't remember the exact wording of it, it was something about the line of like you know one is never enough that like you know if, if your goal is to yeah. be more diverse you have to have at least two of everything you know or at least two right, of whatever right. it is because yeah when you have like only and, and i will say that was I, I thought it was a little odd that like you know jay um she gets this, like, you know, whole group of people to go fight with her. And and on the one hand, it's awesome that no one is ever being like, why are we following a woman into combat? But it is all, right, du- right. It is all dudes. <laughs> like, it would have been nice if there were a couple of women in that group as well. Um, oh, right, right, right. But, but that's a small thing. But there was to- also only one droid. 
This is true. Wouldn't it be this nice if there were like two droids? You know, like all the other Star Wars movies are like, no, we're not just going to have one droid. We're going to have two. A short, you know, silvery white one, and then a, a tall golden one. Well, Force Awakens only had BB-8 as like a named like... R2 showed up. <laughs> yeah, well... And C-3PO was in it. What are you talking about? And C-3PO and R2 were in Rogue there was One. plenty of droid representation in The Force <laughs> Awakens, okay? Okay. I think we're going into a little bit of a rabbit hole here. Um, but we maybe this is the political cause we need to dedicate ourselves to. Is is, is Droid know, lives matter. Because there, there is that one bar on Tatooine where droids were not allowed. We need to change that. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, a, well, there's. I mean, there's clear discrimination against droids in the <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. Clear, clearly, like, I'm not even joking. Like, oh no, they're clearly sentient. You oh, know. Oh yeah, and like, I, I mean, and that's an interest. Like, there's a whole other political question that that has never been discussed in any of the Star yeah. Wars movies, as far as I know. But what, like, I mean, C-3PO gets his brain wiped what twice, three times in the yeah, movie. Yeah, right, right. Like, yeah, they have those restraining bolts that take away their free will, had, you know? Have you seen uh, much of Star Trek, especially the new ge- next generation? No, very little. Okay. I, but most, mostly I'm familiar with the baseball memes. Okay. The, the character of Data, who is an android. There, yeah. There is, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, there, yeah. there is an episode. There's a number of episodes about these questions, including one where he literally goes to court to sue for his legal rights as a sentient being. Um, yeah. And it's one of the most philosophically interesting bits of science fiction I've ever seen. And it, you know, it, it, it's an interesting question that, that we've never seen this happen in the Star Wars universe and would be yeah. fun to get into. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I definitely am agreeing with you. I think. Yeah, I don't even find it an interesting question. I just find it a question where I think most people are probably wrong. Right. And, you know. Um, but, but, but getting back to the, the original thing, like, I do think, you know, um, I love the fact that we had, you know, a, a bunch of people in space who are, you know, all different racial backgrounds and all different, you know, uh, representations. Yeah. And I just like, I, I love seeing that. And I hope we keep seeing more of it because it, um, A, it's just fun to I watch it. We certainly will to, from Star Wars. It seems like the direction they're headed. For sure. Um, for sure. And, and like, Disney in general, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're doing a lot more. I, I haven't seen Moana yet, but I, I keep hearing that it's, like anything, not perfect, but it, you know, in terms of its cultural, you know, respect right. for the, the the traditions that it's talking about, is so much better than anything that people have seen before. So, you know, good directions there. So yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I know we're kind of uh, moving to wrap up. Um, any other kind of last stuff from the the Rogue One movie you wanted to get into? Um, no, I think we covered the. Oh yeah, well, there's the whole pro imperialism thing. Uh, maybe that's another day. <laughs> <laughs> probably not the time to be like you know like get into a long philosophical question about uh about how the notion of an empire isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world <laughs> it's just uh it's always that the you know the, the thing is is like the whoever is you know starting an empire seems to always be um not the horrible. best. <laughs> or at least deeply flawed. Yeah. I mean, and this is, it's, what, what Paul's kind of referring to is some conversations he and I have had about, like, ideas of democracy versus authoritarianism and, and um, you know, is there some validity to the idea of, like, having a very smart, very benevolent person who is just in charge and would that be better? Um, and I'm, I'm not, I, I don't think I'm with you in terms of thinking that there's some, some, that that could be a good idea. Cause I just, I don't think I could ever trust a person. Well, to I, be, I, I think but, the idea of it being a person, 
Uh, right. It is not. That's a bit of a red herring. I you, think. you want the super uh, robot supercomputer. Well, I don't mean necessarily a person, but a person. Right. Like it could be a hundred people. It could a, be a council. You know, a yeah. Council scientists. You know. Right. Um, it could be, you know, just that. Um, and it's not so much that I, I mean, I think autocracy <laughs> is, is horrible. Um, but, uh, but it's that I don't think democracy is not horrible. And I, I, I don't have a lot of great uh, alternatives. Uh-huh. Um, it's just that I think a, a benevolent, um, you know, and like what's benevolent? But like, yeah, I do. I want to put the droids in charge. I yep. really do. <laughs> like, you know, but it's like, I want to program them, you know. I don't want someone else to program them. So, yeah, yeah, that's so that, that, that's not quite a, a last minute topic to to to, to dive into, but but no, something, it's not, it's not. something. We'll, we'll wait till they make a new Terminator movie. Um, we'll... I I will say, um, if you get a chance, there's there's a book by Robert Heinlein, um, who I'm I'm not a fan of. Uh, a lot of people really are, but he, mm-hmm. my, uh, he talks about exactly these kind of questions called "The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress." Um, and in that yeah. book, one of the ideas is that there's kind of a supercomputer that's put in charge because it's so much smarter than the rest of the people. Um, and it's, it's, I disagree with a lot of it, but I know a lot of people who kind of have perspectives like what you're talking about, love that book because their perspective is, this is the idea of like, you know, the smartest, the smartest, most scientifically minded people being in just in charge is better than stupid people, democracy. Um, and well, for the most part, I'm very much on the democracy, I, I would suggest that recent events have made me a little bit skeptical about the wisdom of the people in all things. So there's <laughs> yeah. there, there, there's yeah. there's some room for discussion there. Um, yeah, but I mean, clearly democracy can 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 fail itself, can fail its people. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, um, and that's I I, I I have a closing note. Okay, and I, I do as well. That, I, I, let me let me okay. make mine, and then I'll let you make yours because sure. you should have the last word. But I'll say again, that was the one another thing that the I think the movies that the prequels hinted at, but they got so wrong, which is such a problem because it could have been done so much better, which is the fact that Palpatine becomes emperor through a completely legitimate legal democratic process. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. We, you know, exactly like, like people often forget Hitler was elected, you know? And then Hitler, right, right. Hitler became chancellor, like, you know, the whole Reichstag fire, like he, he, he caused some events to happen illegally, but... The, the constitutional process was absolutely followed to make Hitler chancellor. And the con- right. the Republic's constitutional process was absolutely followed to make Palpatine emperor. And I think that's something people have to remember of like the fact that like someone is elected by the legal means of the Electoral College and all this, like that doesn't mean it's legitimate because sometimes those systems can be totally abused. Yeah, the system, I mean, when you have a system designed in the 1700s, like, that doesn't mean it's going to be the best system to follow in, you know, the next millennium. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, and and just because, just because the rules say, oh, this is the way things should go, doesn't mean that's the way things should go. Yep. You know, it's like, oh, but they the hate, the, hate the game, not the player. Okay, <laughs> well, I'll hate both. Exactly. I'm not sure that was really uh, applicable, but I just like saying that. I appreciate um, that. So what's your final note? Oh, it's just a totally, uh, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, it's a role-playing game note that once upon a time, um, someone came up with some setting where the world was ruled by a supercomputer 
and somehow all the rebels had lightsabers. That's basically all I remember. Okay. So, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it just it seemed uh, relevant to L- light- where we were heading. Light- lightsabers against robots. I like that. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah. So what is, um, uh, Paul, I know you, you've been mostly playing poker out there, but, but trying to get some creative stuff going again. Um, do you have, are you doing more writing? Is there ways people can find stuff you're, write, you're, you're creating? Yes. Visit my website, zenmadman.com. Zen? And, uh, and hopefully it, it'll, it'll have some stuff by the time this <laughs> podcast is up. I'll race you to it. Awesome. Awesome. Good, good idea. Uh, and like I said, um, uh, I'm hoping we can have an article out soon on the superhero ethics blog, um, on Commissioner Gordon and Batman and like what that means for the modern politics and I'll, I'll hopefully I'm going to promise that that'll be up by next Tuesday because um, we're trying to get something out once a week as Paul and I said we're both in kind of crazy life situations with moving um, so we will probably not be podcasting quite as often as we'd like but we got this one two weeks after the last one I think we hope for at least every two weeks and maybe something written in between then um, in the meantime though please check out uh, older episodes and articles on superheroethics.com um, and also, please talk to us. We would love to be in the conversation with you guys about these things. What did you think about Rogue One? What did you think worked? What didn't you work? What do you what What would you do if you were that engineer and had the chance to to maybe help or not help build the Death Star? What do you think he should have done? Um, would love to hear. You can tweet at us at Superhero Ethics. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Superhero Ethics on Facebook. Let us know. Post anywhere in those places. Um, uh, and, and mostly just keep listening and tell your friends about it. We are seeing these numbers grow, which is really exciting for how many people are listening to the podcast uh, and keep expecting to see it get better. So on behalf of myself, on behalf of Paul, thank you everyone for taking part and have a great day.